I'm Bianca Cotton, host of Behind the Confidence Smile. I am here with Adriana Jennings today. Thank you for being here, Adriana. Thank you for having me. We are about to talk about growing up biracial. So, Adriana, (laughs) when you were born, we going all the way back to To your birthday. To birth. (laughs) When you were born and your parents brought you home, what was the first instance since then in your childhood did you realize that you were biracial and what that meant? So it's actually interesting you ask that because um, in the hospital when my mom was actually in labor, well, I guess she would be in delivery at this point, um, the doctor jokingly said like, oh, you have a blonde hair, blue eyed baby without realizing that I'm actually biracial. So wow. he didn't know my dad was white. So when she's like pushing out and I actually came out, he was like, oh, she actually is. <laughs> so it's literally been like since birth where comments have been made because I was a very light child, just just a very light child. Um, and then so coming home um, with my mom and my older brother, my older brother is 100 percent black. So he used to bring his friends over and say, oh, look at my sister. She's white, but she's still my sister. So there's been little instances, like literally since birth. And then um, in daycare, I went to daycare when I was 18 months old. So um, from daycare to eighth grade, I was in all black school. So there were instances in between there um, where I knew that I was othered, if you will. Um, so just situations with teachers, um, when I would fill out, you know, the scantrons, you have to put your race, throwback to scantrons, (laughs) um, where you have to put race and I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, can I put other? And they're like, put black. And I'm like, but I'm biracial. And they're like, you're black. So it would be stuff like that where I'm like, huh, okay. Um, how does that work? So those are some of the situations. Wow. So take us through your parents' journey, right? Your mom is black, your dad is Italian, and how did they talk to you about being biracial? It sounds like a lot of other people outside of the <clears throat> house and inside mm-hmm. with your brother saying, oh, my sister's white, but she my sister. Right. <laughs> what did your parents say to you about being biracial? So my parents actually did not talk to me about race. Um, I had a few instances with them in particular growing up. Um, there was a situation where I was in the mall with my dad. And as you mentioned, my dad is Italian. I was in the mall with my dad and um, a white woman came up to me and he, we're holding hands. And she's like, are you lost? And I'm like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? And she's like, like, do you need help? And I'm holding my dad's hand and I'm so confused. And at this point, I'm like, I'm like maybe seven or eight. So I'm like aware, but not fully aware. And I'm like, no, this is my dad. And she's just like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And so my dad kind of like, you know, he just like let her go. And he's like, you know, there's just people who don't understand. Like, you're my daughter. And I was so confused because I'm like, but you're my dad. And so for someone to blatantly come up to me and be like, do you need help? It was just very weird. So that was really the only time he and I talked about race. He did pass when I was 12. So he and I weren't able to have, you know, adult conversations. Um, And with my mom, we talked about it when I would have an experience. And so um, my first experience being called the N-word was like in third grade. Um, This boy came to school, just, you know, a white boy. 
and he <laughs> and he was just you know you're you know and I'm, we're like what and mind you like I said I went to an all black school so for him to come in and just be this bold like you're clearly getting this messaging from home you don't just right. you know so we used to like chase him home to like beat him up it's oh, so no. bad it was so bad we never called him so it got so bad to the point where the bus driver would actually like drop him off in front of his house and then wait until he went fully inside and then let us off because it, it got that bad. Um, he had Confederate flags around his house. It was just oh, no. terrible. So, you know, I would tell that to my mom and my mom's like, oh, he's just, you know, he's just ignorant. So that would be brushed off as that. But then in sixth grade, when I had a friend who actually called me the N word and she and I would hang out every single day, white girl. And that one really impacted me. So that one is the one where I went home and I was crying. Like, I don't understand why she would say that. So, you know, my mom, she did her best to console. Um, you know, I've expressed before, I, I know that parenting, your job is to protect. And you don't want, there's certain conversations that are just very hard to have. And I think race is one of those conversations. Mm. And so instead of like leaning into the discomfort, it was more of a like, I want you to love everyone and be safe and protected. But also, I don't know how to have the conversation. So those were, it, it was learning in the moment, which was tough. <laughs> yes, I can Very only tough. imagine tough as a child learning in the right. moment. When you reflect on those moments, how do you feel about them now? Oh, man. So the third grade incident, you know, it's interesting because the guy actually, like, sent me a friend request on Facebook. Ooh. And this is like, <laughs> wait, well, you know, this is like 20, you know, 20 some years ago. And it's interesting because even in the moment I saw his name, I went mm. back to my eight year old self. And I was like, how dare you even reach out to me? And so I have no interest in being your friend. And, and you know, that's probably more internal, internal work I have to do, which, you know. But I think we all as, you know, black people, et cetera, we remember the time that we recognize the hatred that's out there because of who we are. Um, so that was that. Um, and then, you know, just moving forward, um, it's, just, it's just interesting. <laughs> it's just interesting because it's like, you want people to appreciate you, love you for who you are, but you also recognize, like, there's some people who just can't get past who you are. Um, and it's hard. Yeah. It can be hard. It can be hard. It can hard. be hard. That growing up biracial impact your self-esteem? Oh, my gosh. Tremendously. So, um, as I mentioned, the, the 18 months through eighth grade being in an all-black school, it was, uh, my experience was more so with colorism. So I was told I'm not black enough. I'm not really black. Um, I'm not all the way black. My hair wasn't like my actual. So I remember instances where I would actually pull my hair to prove it was real, like my actual hair, mm -hmm. to like show people like, no, this is really my hair to the point where I would have headaches. Like it was so bad. <laughs> um, and then my freshman year through high school, like so all of my high school year was at a predominantly white school. So shifting from all black to all white is a total <laughs> it's like a mind uh, adjustment. And so then going to, oh, now I really don't fit in. Um, because that wasn't my full experience in my all-black school. I had great experiences, and I love, you know, being around black people. So to go to an all-white school, it was just like, a, oh, like more of a trying to shrink myself. Like, let me not be noticed. Let me try to assimilate. So let me try to dress like them. Let me try not to talk loudly. Let me try to code switch. So it was that adjustment. And so it was like, where do I really fit in? Because I don't know who I belong to. I don't belong to the white group because I can clearly look at, you know, the white group and see I don't fit in here. And then with the black group, it was 
you know, I fit in to a certain level. And, you know, constantly hearing, even in my adult years, hearing, oh, you're not black enough or you're not really black. Like, okay, we're still doing this. <laughs> like, we're. But who creates those standards? And that's, so it's interesting you say <laughs> that because part of my being able to reconcile, like, I'm a black woman is um, President Obama wrote in one of his books, um, there's more than one way to be black. And after reading that, and he's biracial himself. And so after reading that, it really settled with me like, oh, you don't always have to have like a, I call it a boys in a hood story. But like, <laughs> True. right, like True. you don't have to like have to live in poverty and, you know, have mm -hmm. rats and, and, and people do have those stories. And right. I, you, I appreciate all of the spectrum of our blackness. Like we can have those stories and we can have stories where we went to the ballet and we went traveling. So those were the stories where I'm like, oh, I can, I don't have to have this in order to be that. Um, so yeah, that really helped me be like, girl, black <laughs> <laughs> enjoy your blackness enjoy your blackness and don't be ashamed of it right but it takes a journey to get from yes. um wrestling right with my blackness mm -hmm. and my biracialness and my whiteness to i'm embracing all of me yes what did it take to get to that point that took years um that took therapy that took um reading um man that's a great question because <laughs> I'm like it really took me in my 30s um to actually reconcile that and it's so fascinating because you know when President Obama ran for office I'm like yes like someone who I could connect with and even when I was a kid I used to watch T and Tamara and mm -hmm. so like or sister sister <laughs> and so for me I'm like you know the imaging was like yeah. oh there's finally someone who's biracial and I connect mm -hmm. when they had a white dad and I was like oh I have that too so that was important to me and then you know Holly Berry so there were so many symbols um, and then, like I said, when President Obama ran for office, I was just like, oh, my gosh, someone that looks like me and, you know, has my experience or vice versa. Um, that helped. But there was still this like, where do I fit in? And so um, I got a mentor who was very, you know, adamant on just letting me go through my journey of like m me. What I've recognized is um, with when my dad passed when I was young, I lost that, you know, my yeah. father. And so I wanted ways to continue to connect with him. And I felt like if I were to claim blackness, that I would lose that piece of him. Mm. And so I just always felt like, no, I'm biracial, I'm biracial, because that was the piece that connected me to him without realizing, like, it could be a both and. Like, right. because he's not here doesn't mean that me claiming I'm black doesn't take away, you know, who he is in my life or who he was in my life. Um, and also recognizing, like, the privileges that he had didn't extend to me. And so him being a white male, I don't have white male privileges. Correct. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> and so, and that's okay. Like, okay, it doesn't, again, it doesn't take away. And so for me to be able to like, literally within the last like five or six years, be like, you are a black woman, you are proud. You know, it doesn't take anything away from your father. You still have a white father who you love and et cetera. Like it, it was a release for me. Like, it was very, that's a good way to say that. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, yeah. it was very, it was a release. That's, like, you don't have to wrestle anymore. No, you can just walk into it. You can walk into it. And and knowing, you know, that you, you still have one parent that's still living, your mom, and your mom's side of the family, what was that like? growing up with the aunties right like we got the aunties right. and the grandmas and uh 
how did they see you? Um, I was fully embraced. Um, there was never any like, you know, she doesn't belong or she's not, you know, I was just, you know, I got teased for being light skinned, but it was a very, you know, oh, you're a light skinned child. Nothing <laughs> aggressive, if that makes sense. Um, and then, you know, just learning how to do my hair, you know, that's a whole nother. Oh, yes, the hair. <laughs> that's a whole nother <laughs> podcast in itself. But um, Because but, your hair doesn't need a press and comb or uh, necessarily flat irons right. and um, relaxer right. because of the texture of right. your hair. So my texture was not like anybody else's <laughs> texture, but it was treated you know, with the same, <laughs> with the same, same love, right, <laughs> as we give other textures. So, you know, the perm and then the flat iron and the hot comb just, and then my hair just would fall out. And I'm like, oh, no. So my mom, you know, was, once that happened, she took me to a stylist who was like, oh, no, we got to make sure we treat this pattern with the respect that it needs. So, mm. so yeah, but there was never any, I never felt othered. Um, the only time I did was my brother and my mom are, are, darker complected and so when we would be out um, a lot of people would think my brother and I were in a relationship like when we got older they're like oh that's you and he's like that's my sister like he's so mad we're five years apart five and a half so that's still very awkward it's so awkward like you like you think um, I'm dating my brother (laughs) and he would get so and it's interesting because side by side we look alike it's just our skin tones are different but if you put us next to each other we look alike so um so yeah there was never any issues on that side on my mom's side. I want to go back to this hair piece (laughs) (laughs) of all the things being done to your texture and you, your hair falling out. Mm -hmm. How how did that make you feel? It was another um, indicator of like, I don't, it was like, I don't fit in. Like, Mm -hmm. why isn't my hair like everyone else's type of thing? And then to also be teased about your hair, like, you know, it's very big and fluffy and, you know, um, very Diana Ross. That's what oh. that's what they used to say. Your hair is very Diana Ross. And so for me, be young, you know, I didn't know who Diana is. <laughs> you know, hair wasn't like it is now. You can embrace your curls and right. your frizz. But back in the, you know, 80s, 90s, like, People you know. People trying to lay it. Yes. <laughs> so it was another indicator of, like, why can't my hair just be like theirs? Mm. Why can't I just you know, where, because I didn't even do, um, like, braids. The one time I had braids in, again, it pulled my hair out. And so it was like, I can't, like, fit in. It was So it was another thing of me not fitting in. And then, of course, my hair didn't, like, mirror any white women's hair. So I'm like, okay. So, again, another reason when Tia and Tamara had their curls, I was like, oh, gosh, yes. Those are my curls, too. Right. So, yeah. Do you mentor other young people who are biracial? Like, has that ever come up for you? You know what? I have. Um, and it's interesting because a lot the ones that I have have sh- they she and I had a similar experience of feeling othered, of feeling left out. And we have conversations about that. Um, you know, and I let her express herself because I know it's a journey and I know not all biracial journeys look the same. Mm-hmm. Um I think one of the bonuses for me, if you will, is that my mother is black. And so she and I are able to have conversations. But I don't know how I would maneuver if I had a white mother. Like, are you able to connect with me? And um, I do think it does matter what parent is, you know, what? That's just me. I could be wrong. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I told I just let her express herself and, you know, encourage her where I can. 
I have young ladies who are like not biracial or fully black. And you know, I still get those comments of like, oh, I like your hair. Oh, I like your skin, like that. Mm -hmm. And I encourage them, your hair is perfect the way it is your skin. So it's like, again, even years later, there's still this colorism, there's still this, you know, hair piece. And you know, you have to encourage and empower young ladies and young men um, for who they are and right. write exactly who they are. Mm, that's good. <laughs> you, that what I mean by is good is you have opened yourself up to be able to pour back into those who mm. are uh, experiencing similar challenges and saying, "Hey, I didn't see too many people on TV that look like me, or in my community that look like me." There's there's no one way mm -hmm. to live this life mm. as a person who has a black mom or Italian dad or a white mom or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever the combination is and, and the parents that you have to find your own voice. Yes. And it's interesting that even all of these years later, it's still the same comments. Like, you think you're cute. It's my, I, it was funny because I actually like got slightly triggered. Um, I was leading a group and this one girl kind of just made the comment under her breath. Like, she thinks she cute because she light skinned. And I and I heard like, you know, I went back to my seven, eight, nine year old self and I was just like and I had to catch myself. I was like, oh, there's still a part of me that needs to. And I had a conversation, you know, I challenged her on that. Like, you know, I can't help my skin color. Like, right. let's let's discuss why you feel that way. Right. And so she and I had a whole conversation and she recognized she was just regurgitating, you know, what she, what heard. she heard. And so I'm like, we're still doing this all these years. Yes. <laughs> but like, when will it end? When? When? <laughs> Win. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh man, that's I I wanna know now that you're in adulthood, right? Have you ever had a opportunity to talk with your mom about what you felt like growing up biracially since there wasn't an intentional conversation from either your parents? So we discussed it um, when I told her I was doing this podcast. I'm like, Mom, <laughs> let's discuss. Um, and her, you know, her feedback is, um, you know, I just wanted you to love everyone. And I didn't. So I, I do recognize that if you make something such a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like if you highlight something so much. So if you make, and I don't like when people say you make everything about race. But if she's having these conversations with me, like, you know, white people are going to look at you this way. I can look that up. Like, I can draw that energy towards me, if that mm. makes sense. So I can attract things like, oh, see, she doesn't like me because of this. She doesn't like me. And, you know, my mom is not that person. She does not like victimhood. She doesn't like any of that. So I can understand from that piece. Um, and I also, you know, growing up in the church and you, you love everyone and, you know, which I agree. Um, but I do think there's a level of responsibility to educate your children about race, racism, you know, gen just everything, every ism that there is, they should be educated. And so, you know, her approach was just really, I wanted you to love everyone <laughs> and I wanted everyone to love you. Um, so to see me for who I am versus, you know, the color of my skin, they wanted to see the content of my character. But, um, but yeah, so that's really it. I do still think there is a level of it's a hard conversation to have. Right. And, you know, unless you have solutions, it can be very defeating. Mm -hmm. um, even with, you know, with police, you know, I get pulled over and you have that experience with the cops. And it's like you go back and you're like, 
you, you're sad and mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do because mm-hmm. these are the rules we live by. Right. And it's not fair. It's just what it is. It is what it is. And so that's right that's hard. I can't, you know, even when I have the conversation with the young people I work with and they're like, well, what do we do? And I'm like, you know, it's heartbreaking at times. Like, dang, like it is. there's nothing we can do. We got to play the game. Know the rules. <laughs> know the rules of the game. Be aware. Yeah. Ah, the emotional labor. So much. It's, it, from from listening to you um, speak, it sounds like your life has been full of additional emotional labor. Mm. That's well said. Yeah. Yes. The, the The navigating of spaces and places without adequate tools mm. earlier yes. on. Yes. And now learning like, okay. There are books, there are podcasts, there are other people that I can speak with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so building your toolkit, what tools would you share with others that, in addition to therapy, <laughs> <laughs> that ha- that has had an impact on you in addition to Obama? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I would say, so I took um, Dr. Joy DeGruz's class. Um, she has a 10-week course that she offers. And who is Dr. Oh, Joy? Oh, my gosh. She's everything. <laughs> Um, no, she is. Oh, man, I don't want I don't know her exact title, but she wrote the book Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. She does workshops. She does conferences, et cetera. Um, she's wonderful. And so I got introduced to her, like literally introduced to her at a meeting. And I just was like, oh, my gosh, I need to read And So I read her book and then attended her workshops and took her class. I went like full in. And it really helped heal me. I, mm-hmm. I, and her her tagline, if you will, is be the healing. Yes. And so I was just like, oh, my gosh, this was so. And so it's knowing the history of enslavement of your people, et cetera, and like really embracing your blackness and recognizing blackness is beautiful. And so I think for years, to answer your question, to to be in settings and see news and media where your blackness is always from a negative standpoint mm-hmm. you know your drug dealers your prostitutes your this your that and during black history month all we talk about is mlk <clears throat> and so to have the full spectrum of like oh no we're doctors and we're lawyers and we're oh i can be that and a lot right. of people there's so much anti-blackness because of the stereotypes and mm-hmm. the way that the world has viewed us and to love and embrace that side of me that's mm. free. Beautiful. <laughs> that is free. So knowing the history and knowing your full history, like you are more than just what the media has portrayed or et cetera. Like we are such a diverse population. Like it's, Definitely. it's freeing. So that's one tool, having conversations, being honest with yourself. Um, and I do recognize, like I said, it's an individual journey. Um, and a lot of people, it's hard for them to come to that reconcilia- reconciliation because some people do want to identify as solely I'm biracial and that is totally fine. Like I'm not taking away that from anyone. Um, you know, my journey is I'm a biracial woman, but I'm a black woman. Mm. You're a black woman. <laughs> <laughs> Say that with your chest. Right. Like that. <laughs> right. And so I did want to share um, when we talked about going to like predominantly white institutions in school, um, you know, even that experience with not dating because like mm-hmm. do white guys approach black girls or so right not at <laughs> not at the school I went to there was no so again being left out of homecoming I did go to prom but of course you know I went with the other black guy right. that was in school 
So it's like those moments of not really having a boyfriend, not going to homecoming and not. So, you know, there's just so many other factors that you want. When people look back at their high school, they're like, oh, I did this and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't do any of that. Right. Mm. That's tough. That's tough. As we wrap up this insightful dialogue (laughs) today, what do you want your five-year-old self to know? Five-year-old self? Yeah. Um, Girl, you're going to make it, girl. (laughs) Look, you're going to be all right. Um, Five-year-old self, yes. Uh, I would say to her, take up space. um, Embrace who you are. Love who you are. Um, Life has gone life, but you're, you're, you got this. (laughs) Persevere. That's, it's good. And live a soft life too. Mm. Like you don't have to be this, like you deserve softness and goodness. That's good. That just blessed me. (laughs) I'm going to sit with that. Thank you, Adriana, for being here today and sharing your story. Thank you. Oh. oh. <laughs> Did he give you the warning? <laughs> now? Oh. <laughs> so, and being at a predominantly white institution, uh, and you shared that the white guys wouldn't approach you. Did the black guys approach you? So, you know, what's interesting is not really. Hmm. Um, so it's so interesting that you say that. So there weren't too many black guys, but uh, the ones that were there <laughs> did not approach me. It wasn't until my senior year where I actually started dating someone. So, yeah, that's interesting that you said it because the black guys either dated like the one other black girl or the white girls. So then that also factors into your self-esteem of like man am i good enough am i good enough or what's repelling them Mm, right and then it also again plays into that i don't fit in like i don't fit in with the black like you're not dating the black girl you're not you're dating the white girl but where do i fit in so yeah it's interesting it's a very interesting experience have have you experienced that even into your adulthood around dating so I've only ever dated black men because um, I just love black men, <laughs> love black men. Um, but I've never had anyone who's not black approach me. Um, I've heard people, you know, I was at a setting not too long ago and a mutual friend came over like, oh, this guy over there is interested in you, but he's scared to approach you. And I'm like, why? It was a white guy. I still don't know who the white guy is, whatever. He never approached me. Um, so, yeah, I'd never had a, a a non-black person approach me. So it's interesting. I don't know if I would date outside of my race. Um, Like I said, I've only dated black men. I would want to know why. Um, You know, I have no issue with interracial relationships. Obviously, I'm the product of an interracial relationship. Um, My question is the why um, in terms of are you fetishizing the opposite race? And so if a white guy approaches me, why are you interested in a black woman? Is what I would ask. And the some skepticism. And some people want, you know, the black guy experience. I've heard that growing up. Explain. Not that growing before. up, sorry. <laughs> you know, I've heard white women say like, "Oh, I've heard black guys are, you know." Mm. So it gets back to how we were treated, you know, back in the day. Like you just want to experience as a person, exactly, but as a thing. exactly. So I'm not opposed to it. 
I don't, I just, again, I want to know the why, um, you know, they, some people look at Latinx women like, oh, they're spicy in there, you know, like those little buzzwords. And when you start doing that, you're not seeing me for the humanity that I deserve. You're seeing, you know, what you think that you can get from me. Wow. Like, oh, I want to have a black guy experience or, oh, black women, you know, what, you know, just all the different, you know, and then some black men look at white women as like, they're the pinnacle. And so, oh, I won because I got a white woman. Mm. I'm always just curious about it. Not always, but I would just want to know. Like, you're not fetishizing. Some people want mixed babies. Right. We know a whole family that has a family of mixed babies. And it's like, why do you want why all these mixed children? Hmm. What a powerful note to end <laughs> on. Again, Adriana, thank you for sharing and bringing light to this very much needed conversation thank today. Thank you. Thank you, Bianca, for having me. A pleasure.